Hey, if you have your Bible with you, let me invite you to turn. Uh, actually, the references in the bulletin are, are not the references I'm going to be using. The ones that are on the handout is where we're going to be at today. We're going to continue this week and next week. We're going to finish up our series next week talking about God's great salvation. I hope that over the course of this series, if you've been able to be with us for, for any time of that series, I really hope that you've been able to kind of get a better picture of the salvation that God has offered to us, uh, the, the salvation that is available to us. Because we started the series with a little bit of a statement <clears throat> or, or just kind of an observation that so many Christians, at least I believe so many Christians, don't, don't maybe wrap their minds around or, or stop to, to just stand in awe of how amazing their salvation really is. And so many Christians then aren't living out the total freedom that God has empowered them to live because they don't know the dynamics of their own salvation. And so that was kind of where we were headed through this whole series. Now listen, last week we started talking about a a truth that is um, pretty difficult, actually last week and this week, these are really big truths that we're talking about that deserve so much more time than what we have to, to allocate in just a very short period at our service time. So let me just throw out an encouragement to you. If you're coming in today, kind of halfway through last week, excuse me, <coughs> you missed last week, I can personally encourage you to go back. You can check out our, our sermons on our website. That's praisepoint.net. Um, you can download them there. You can watch them online. Um, you can also, uh, if you don't do the internet thing real well, you can also get CD copies of of our morning services. The reason that I mention that is, is not just to, for these shameless plugs, even though that those are used an awful lot, but for, for me just to encourage you to take an opportunity to go back and review the things that we're talking about. These are big ideas and really deserve a lot uh, more attention than what we really have time for here in just a short hour or so. So last week we looked at God's electing grace. If you read the scriptures, you cannot avoid the truths that God has some electing sovereignty that he exercises and that, that in his election, he is showing us grace and in his election, he is showing his love. In his election, he is showing us the magnificence of his salvation. Now, Usually, any time that we talk about election, any time that you talk about this thought or these ideas of predestination, which you cannot avoid when you get into the scriptures, usually the question that comes up or the, the controversy maybe that's, that is stirred up is, especially in the church world, we use these words, well, what about my free will? right? If we talk about predestination, if we talk about election, if we, and really we're talking about God's goodness and his grace and his salvation and those magnificent things, usually we want to say, well, what do I have to do with all of this stuff? In, in fact, I've talked to some folks over the years that when you start talking about election, you talk a little bit about predestination, they say, well, I guess I'm just not elect. I guess I'm just not predestined to be saved by God. And I think, you know what? That's just a bunch of bunk. 
you don't understand what this is all about if that's kind of the way that you're feeling about this. You have a participation in how all of this plays out, but the idea of free will, or actually the nomenclature of free will, is really a misnomer. And so today, I want to talk about I want to talk about your ability to choose and what that looks like, because really these ideas are twin truths. It's not, in, in the, it's, it's so unfortunate that oftentimes people look at it as either or, and really it is, it is both, and so this is what we want to talk about here today. Said another way, I want to talk about free will, and almost inevitably we're going to talk about free will because we're talking about election predestination. And really the wrong question to ask is, so what about my free will? But at the end of the day, really what people are, are asking, and if you want to follow along, there's some write-ins in your insert. You're, you're welcome to do that. That usually helps me kind of follow along. Many people wrongly misunderstand the word will when they talk about free will to mean choice. If we use the word will, will doesn't mean choice. You can get on Google, you can get on Wikipedia, you can get on, uh, if you're still the old school using the dictionary as a paper dictionary, you can pull out your paper dictionary, you can go through and you can look up for synonyms or definitions of will. You're not going to see the word choice there. But, but for some reason, we have wrongly associated free will to mean free choice, and that's not what it means. In fact, really, choice is not a synonym for will. Rather, will means desire, right? Whatever your will is, we're talking about your desires, right? Doesn't that make sense? And as we're going to discover today, desire, your desires or what your desires are, are tied to your spiritual condition, your spiritual condition. And even though they may be asking the wrong question when people ask, so what about my free will, what they're really asking at the end of the day is they're asking, do I have the ability to choose? Or, or am I an automaton? Am I a pawn of God? Am I just a, a, a chess piece in this great cosmic battle that is, is taking place between Satan and God? And unfortunately, for, for thousands of years, really, really about 1,500 years, the outcome of all these discussions, especially in the last 400, and then especially in the last 100 years, they've really become divisive. And so churches stray away from talking about these beautiful truths, and pastors stray away because they're afraid of stirring up controversy. They're afraid of stirring up division and all that kind of stuff. And when we handle these terms and these thoughts biblically, what we really should be seeing is not something that stirs up dissension and division, but we should be seeing something that causes us to look at God and say how magnificent and how glorious of a God that we really must serve because he has done these things. I, I, I guess that the reason that divisions arise 
is that most people view God's electing grace, what we talked about last week, and if you missed last week, let me just shamelessly plug and encourage you to go back and to review last week's lesson. You can do that online or again by the CDs. <clears throat> you can, um, when, when people think of God's electing grace and human responsibility, they think of them, I think, as irreconcilable ideas, things that just don't compute or register together. And in reality, these thoughts and these truths are really twin truths. You can't have one truth without really having the other, at least biblically and theologically speaking. So because of the potential that I've already mentioned, so many pastors, so many teachers, they shrink away from talking about these amazing truths. And, you know, sometimes it's out of fear, and sometimes, to be quite honest, it's out of a lack of their own understanding, Because they themselves have been maybe pigeonholed in in one way or another, and so they're afraid of talking about these kind of truths openly, but we shouldn't be afraid to talk about the Word of God. I guess that what I've discovered is the more that I know about my own salvation, the, the more that I know from what the Bible teaches me, and the Bible is God's revealed information, His revelation about who He is and about uh, the salvation that He's given to me. And the more that I've learned about the Bible, the more that I've learned about my own personal salvation, about my own responsibility towards God, the more I'm able to live out what God wants me to do, the more I'm able to be more fulfilled in my Christian life. And so, in my opinion, these topics are very worthwhile wrestling with to gain insights and to gain wisdom so that we can discover our great salvation even better. And as we discover and as we have more information about our great salvation, we can be more fulfilled and live out the truths that God wants us to live out. So here we are today examining the truths that will further reveal God's great salvation to us. So firstly, here's what I want to say that kind of takes us back to last week, gets us set up for this week. Remember from last week, you are elected and chosen by God to be holy, that is to be set aside, and in being set aside, you are to bring God glory. That That is what happens when God saves us. He sets us aside. What does he set us aside from? He sets us aside from hell and the consequences of sin, the things that all of us have inherited just by being born. He sets us aside for his own purposes to bring him glory, to reveal to this world how amazing God is. Here's the thing, is you and I then are to go through the process of sanctification so that we can become more holy so that we can live out what God wants for our life, and in living out what God wants for our life, you know what we do? We reveal God's glory to the world. And we bring glory, we worship God. The more that you love God, the more that you uh, obey God, the more glory that you bring to God. So here we go. In order to grow in holiness... In order to worship God more, in order to obey God, in order to glorify God more, we need to do what? We need to obey God. Well, 
How do you obey God? Well, you have to discover what God wants, and that's through studying the scriptures. By the way, that was the commission that Jesus left with the church. Do you, do you know the mission of the church has already been laid out? Uh, I, I, I find it, I personally find it amusing when I read all these different various mission statements of churches all around the world. I, the mission statement of the church has already been laid out. Make disciples. That's it right? Go into all the world and make disciples. He didn't say make converts. He said make disciples. Help people know more about what I want for them. That's what the church is to do. That's the point of the church. So we are to teach, as Jesus said, teach his people to obey everything that I have commanded you. That's why we have the revealed word of God, which we call the scriptures. So here's what we're to do then. So to bring glory to God, we need to, as Christians, obey God. Here's the thing. Raising the question that we're dealing with today, do you have a choice of obeying or disobeying God? Well, to break this down a little bit further, obedience is an act of the will, right? It's an act of the will. And what have we already defined will as? Desire. Obedience is an act of desire. Your obedience to God is contingent upon your desire to love Him and to obey Him, right? Think about this. Have you ever had these moments where, where you know that you're sinning? Like, you, you just know that you're sinning. At that moment, your desire to, to submit or to love the flesh is greater than your desire to love God. That's what happens when we sin. At the moment that you sin, your desire to obey God is less than your desire to satisfy yourself. On the other side of the coin, when you choose to obey God, your desire to love God, your desire to obey God is greater than your desire to fulfill your own flesh. That's your will. Your will is to love God. And here's the, the truth that's going to make the most sense and kind of hopefully be the puzzle piece that will maybe snap some of this together. Your desires are reflective of and determined by your personal spiritual condition. Your desires or your will are reflective of and determined by your own personal spiritual condition. Now, now, let me kind of make all this come together a little bit more when we're talking about free will or talking about, maybe using a synonym for will, free desire. The truth of the matter is a person's will, a person's desires are bound. You see, free will is really a misnomer. It's, it's a wrong wording that's been used for a very long time to reflect an idea that the words themselves don't communicate at all. Your desires or your will is bound by your spiritual condition. 
Now, let me make some sense of that right from the Scriptures. If you're spiritually dead, think about this with me. If you're spiritually dead, you'll not desire the things of God. And thus, your life cannot be holy. And you cannot bring glory to God because your desires will be contrary to the desires of God, making you an enemy of the eternal king. If you're spiritually dead, you cannot have a will or a desire to obey God. Why? Because you have not had new life given to you yet by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Does that make sense? You follow me? With me so far? Let me make some more sense. Ephesians chapter 2, if you have your Bible with you. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This will begin to clarify some of these things. Beginning in verse 1, this is up on the screen, the English Standard Version. If yours is a little bit different, that's okay. And you were, listen, do you see this? Dead in your trespasses and sins. Now let let me ask you something. Can a dead person do anything? Right? Dead. Nothing, in complete inability to exercise anything. You're completely dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? That's Satan, the spirit that is now at work at the sons of disobedience. It's the spirit of Satan, or, or um, to, to make more sense of that, the spirit of disobedience that is at work of people in, inside of people who, who do not yet know Jesus and who are not yet regenerate, who are not uh, sons and daughters of the living God. They're dead. They're going to hell. They cannot obey God. They cannot please God. Why? Because they're dead, because of their sins. And therefore, their will and their desire is bound to do sinful things. There was a time in my ministry that I just grew so frustrated at what non-believers did. And then it hit me. Non-believers do non-believing things. Why? Because Satan's at work in them. And and so we can't hold them to the same standards. We can't hold them to the same accountabilities. We can't hold them to the same holiness of God because they're dead. And their will and their desire is to obey Satan, to obey themselves. You know, you're saying, well, that sounds awfully extreme. Look at the texts. Among whom, by the way, as a reminder, we all once lived in the passions of our own flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, uh, and were by nature children of wrath. What does that mean? It means the sons and the daughters of disobedience, the people who are not saved, are objects of God's wrath, and they're destined to hell like the rest of mankind. And he's, Paul is reminding the Ephesians, listen, at one time, you were also objects of wrath. For each of us who are now saved, who are saved by the electing grace of God, we once were dead. We once were this. 
And so, by the way, that doesn't mean that we can say, oh, 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 well, see, I'm now saved. If you're genuinely saved, you won't have that kind of attitude anyhow. On the other hand, for the believer, and this is Paul's going to contrast this here coming up. On the other hand, for the believer, our desire is to please God because he's created in us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, as Matthew 5 says, right? Because he has made us alive in him, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that we are a new creation in him. We're dead to ourselves to the degree that when we do sin, we actually, we actually despise our sins and we move towards repentance, all because God has performed his saving grace in our lives. And this is what Paul wrestles in the book of Romans. He goes over and over, he says, oh, what a wretch that I am. The things that I desire to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't desire to do, those are the things that I do. And then he's just lamenting over this. Why is he lamenting? He's talking about sin. Because when we are genuinely saved, one of the evidences that we're genuinely saved is that our desire is to wholeheartedly and fully please God. And when we don't please God, and we know that we don't please God, we lament over that. We mourn over that. Sounds awfully reflective of one of the Beatitudes, doesn't it? Let me illustrate this by what Paul says a little bit further in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. But God, I love this, but God, rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. I love this. By, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, by the way, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one could boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. And as we learned last week, God elected us and chose us in him before the foundations of the world, before the stars were cast into the heavens, he thought of us. That's how amazing your salvation is. That's how much God thinks of us. That's how much he, he loves us. And if you're saved and growing in God's grace, your desire or your will will be for the things of God and not for the things of this world. You see, one of the, that's one of the earmarks, that's one of the evidences that you're genuinely saved is you desire more and more and more as you grow in, your gra- grow, grow in God's grace to please God. You're going to just desire to please God more and more and more. Why? Because you're genuinely saved. Because your will, your desire has been crafted and remade because you're now a new creation. You're no longer a child of Satan, a son or a daughter of disobedience. Well, on the other hand, if you're not saved, you cannot genuinely desire the things of God. You can be a good person, 
but there's an awful lot of good people who've done a lot of wonderful philanthropic good things who are going to hell. It, the, the other day, I was just having a conversation with somebody, and they were listing uh, the things that they were trying to, to make better in their life so that God would love them more. They were talking about quit smoking, quit swearing, and all the, they had their, their list. And I said, I even said to them, I said, but it's not about those things. It's about Jesus. It's not about your good works. See, see, even good people can stop swearing and stop smoking and whatever other list that they can manufacture, but it's not about those things. It's about what we do with Jesus. Now to the issue at hand, so what about the issue of will? I want to bring up a point of clarity and I can do it best, I think, through an illustration in Luke chapter 22, and it's a story that I think a lot of us are familiar with. It's the story of Jesus when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of you were with me earlier this year as we were in Israel, and <clears throat> so some of this will, will make a lot of sense to, to some of you that, that were there that kind of just now mentally you have a picture of what it may have looked like Speaking of Jesus in verse 39 of Luke chapter 22, he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. Who's the he? That's Jesus. The disciples followed him, and he came to the place, the place of Gethsemane, or Gashmanin, and he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And for you who were there, you could see that kind of just geographically how short of a distance that was. And he prayed, Father, listen, here's this word, if you are, what's the word? Willing. If it's your desire, remove this cup from me. Jesus really didn't want to die on the cross. You hear me? Jesus, of his own fleshly desire, didn't want to die on the cross. But you know what he did? Listen, if, if, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, not my desires, but yours. Do you hear that? What is he talking about there? He's talking about his will. He's talking about his desire. And moreover, he's talking about the desire of God the Father. That this is going to be a, this is going to be the once for all sacrifice that's going to accomplish the saving work that you and I are saved by. And that was God's purpose and plan for Jesus all along, and He knew that. But in the heat of the moment, when it when it came to the rubber hitting the road, Jesus said, "Boy, I know what's coming." If there's any other way, I really don't want to go through that. 
I really don't want to go. That's why, do you remember when Jesus, right after he was baptized, he was driven into the wilderness by, by the Spirit of God, and he had three temptations. You guys remember that? And the third temptation was Satan said, listen, I tell you what, bow before me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. If any of the temptations really, really tempted Jesus, it had to be that one. Why? Because what Satan was offering was an alternative way, at least a deceptive alternative way to God's plan. What did God want to accomplish? He wanted to accomplish the redemption of humankind. And here you have uh, Satan tempting Jesus, going back to the garden. He says, not my will, not my desire, but your desires. Now, let's make some sense of this. Did Jesus have the opportunity for disobedience here? Yes. I mean, that's just kind of a duh moment. Did Jesus act out his own desires? Nope. But yes. His desire, at least kind of, was, if there's any other way, please make this happen. But really, his desire was to follow God, to obey the will of his Father. So did Jesus act out his own desire? Well, no, in some sense, but absolutely his desire was to follow God. Did Jesus uh, act out the desire of God the Father? Yes. Did Jesus exercise choice? Yes. Was Jesus clearly marked out and elect by God? Yes. Had God appointed and ordered all of Jesus' life, as we talked about last week, that God does for all of us? Yes. And so when we examine our ability to make choices and also talk about God's electing grace, we're talking about twin truths. Truths that are evident throughout the whole of Scripture. I've just used one simple example These ideas are not in competition with each other as is oftentimes portrayed. God God has chosen and elected us before the foundations of the world. You and I still have choice. Our will is contingent and our choices will be contingent upon our spiritual condition. Is your spiritual condition saved or is your spiritual condition saved? unsaved. And and the truth of the matter is, is for the Christians, these ideas shouldn't give us any kind of anxiety. They shouldn't give us any kind of frustration. And oftentimes, I find it fascinating because when I hear people talking about them, you know, I hear people talking about them with angst and frustration and anxiety, and I'm thinking, why are you talking about God's truths that way? I think it becomes, the anxiety comes because of a great misunderstanding. God has freely given salvation to us that he initiated, that he has sustained, and that he will complete. And and isn't that good news? Your salvation is initiated by God. It's sustained even by God, and it will be completed by God. I, I mean, to me, that's just so freeing. I've talked to so many Christians that they, 
they're somehow convinced, and I don't know how, but they're somehow convinced that God has initiated their salvation and given them this free, ch- and then they think that it's up to them to maintain their salvation. And if they don't maintain to a certain degree, and they really don't know where that tipping point is, but God may not let them into heaven. I think, what a horrible anxiety to live under. What a, what a horrible lie to believe because that's not what the scriptures teach about our salvation. And in providing salvation for us, God has not infringed upon your human responsibility or on uh, maybe a word that you and I might like better, your human freedom. You still have responsibility to make choices. Can you choose which donut you want? Yes. Can, can you choose what you're going to do with your day? Absolutely. Can you, can you choose what you're going to do this afternoon? Sure. The scriptures don't teach anything against that. But remember that your salvation is initiated and given to you as a free gift from God. That, that is his electing choice. So what is so encouraging about all of this? I mean, why? When we're talking about a, a topic like God's great salvation, why is it worth talking about these things? Because some people would say, well, you know what, that's just awfully heady stuff. Doesn't have any practical application. Oh, but it does. It has lots of practical application. Not only am I saved, but I'm also unique in my own personality, unique in my own spirit. I have the ability to to choose. I have the ability to glorify God, and God gets greater glory out of that because of my ability to choose. Not only has God given me the gift of his grace, but he's also given me a desire to, to love him or a will to love him, to please him and to glorify him. I can actually choose to love him. I can actually choose to obey him. And sadly, I can also, on the other side of the coin, choose to disobey him to bring reproach upon his name. These these are the exclusive experiences of God's great salvation. I think that these are the glories of God's great salvation. Now listen, we're going to wrap up this series next week. We, we've only hit just so many small things when we're thinking about the magnificence of God's salvation and uh, how can we evaluate if we're really genuinely saved. We've, we've talked about all of those kinds of things throughout the course uh, of this series. And next week, we're going to kind of encapsulate all of these things together. Now listen, if you're here this morning and you're wondering, maybe this doesn't make much sense to you. Maybe you're wondering, I don't know if I'm really saved based upon some of the things that I've learned today or some of the things that I've heard in the past weeks. Let me encourage you, get your life right with Christ. And listen, it's not an issue of, as I was talking with somebody just yesterday, about getting their life in order. It's just about accepting the free gift of God's grace. 
which is his salvation. And what he will do in you is he will change your nature and he will change your desires so that you will desire to love him and to obey him. And it will only be the beginning, only the beginning of a journey of God's great salvation. Listen, maybe you're here even today and, and you've, you've had some anxiety over your salvation. Am I really saved? I don't know. I've done some things that, that really aren't good. Listen, there, there is the possibility for a believer to act in disobedience because we have the ability to choose, and as a result, you've lost the assurance of your salvation because you've been living in disobedience for too long. And naturally, you're going to lose that assurance. Maybe we need to have a conversation about some of those things. Let me invite you personally to come and talk with me or one of the staff pastors here. We'd love to talk to you more about that relationship. God wants you to love him. And he's given you that free opportunity to love him and to choose him. From God's angle, it's election. From our angle, we do all the choosing. How does that reconcile? I don't know. But they're beautiful biblical twin truths, and you have to have them both. Let me invite the worship team to come back up.